Awesome. Happy Easter, everyone. He is risen. Okay, we're not in an Anglican church, but if you're in an Anglican church, you'd say, He's risen indeed. I'll try it again. He is risen. He is risen. That's right. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Susie. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Put that on the screen. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So begins the book of Jonah. Everybody say Tarshish three times fast. Tasha, Tasha. It's not a word you want to say when you're drunk. It's okay. I have not, <laughs> I've not been drinking before service. Uh, just a coffee this morning. Jonah, if you've got a Bible with you, um, Old Testament prophet. He's one of the minor prophets. That just means he's one of the short prophets. Uh, nestled between Obadiah and Micah, as if you know where they are. And uh, it's four short chapters. And it's a crazy story about a guy and a whale. Right? Strange story, perhaps, for Resurrection Sunday, you might think. But we'll get there. Jonah is asked to do something for God. But for reasons known only to himself, and which we find out later, he refuses. He instead runs away from God. He doesn't, actually, he doesn't just run. He jumps on a boat to get away from God. He thinks that if he changes his location, then he can... Escape God's instruction and his purpose for his life. But it doesn't work. And if I had a, if I had a dollar for every Christian I know who's, who's tried to run away, tried to change locations, tried to escape from the purpose and the direction of God, I'd be a wealthy man. Because it's something that we just, we often do. And Jonah, Jonah's a, he's a great example of fallen humanity. He's a great example for us. Jonah's asked to do something that he doesn't want to do, and so instead of doing it, he tries to remove himself <laughs> and therefore remove the problem, remove the issue from his life. And I want, to, I want to start my sermon this morning by saying, what issue are you running away from in God? Like, what task has God asked you to do, and you are just avoiding it? Maybe you're not physically running away, but you've kind of put it in the back, room and you've locked the door and you're not going there and you're ignoring it? What relationship or, or, or relationships is God asking you to restore or to, to, uh, to pursue? What, what issue are you running from that God is actually just waiting for you to turn back and to address? Because how many of you know it's easier to procrastinate. It's easier to, to turn a blind eye. It's easy, easier, <laughs> I say easier, because in, in the short term, it might be easier. In the long term, it always comes back to poke you in the bottom with a carrot. <laughs> See what I did there? Uh, it always comes back to bite you in the butt. <laughs> so Jonah jumps on a ship, and it's a pretty action-packed first chapter actually. We'll read some of it. In verse 4, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship 
threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. That's, that's crazy. So there's this major storm raging, brought about by Jonah's disobedience, because he ran away. And he's either completely, so completely oblivious to it that he's just sleeping like a baby, or that he's, he, just, he can block it out so well that he's just decided to lie down and have a sleep. Even though there are, there are trained sailors who are panicking on board and throwing cargo overboard like a baby. Some people can cause a storm around them and be completely oblivious to it and just go about their daily life as if there's no issue, as if there's nothing wrong. And I think you and I can sometimes do that because we all have blind spots in our lives. We all have things that we do that we don't realize the effect they have on those around us. And you can think, well, oh, no, I don't have any blind spots. Guess what? <laughs> because it's a blind spot, you don't know about it. That's the definition of a blind spot. So if you're going to sit there and go, I don't, I don't have any blind spots. <laughs> you have one. <laughs> it's your non-recognition of blind spots. It's your first blind spot. We all have things that God sees in our lives that He wants to change. All of us. Because ain't none of you are perfect yet, including myself. But what we do is we adapt and narrative to fit our worldview. See, we, we are storied people. We, we, we live in a story. We create our own stories. And we actually tell ourselves stories about our world and how it came to be about. And so when there's an uncomfortable truth in our life that we don't want to or we can't face, we create a story around it that justifies our own actions and pins the, the blame or the responsibility on somebody else or some external circumstance. Therefore, our world is still okay, and we don't have to change, and our story is okay. Okay, let me give you a concrete example. Let's say you crash your car, and the reason you crash your car is because you were looking at your cell phone. Nobody's ever done this uh, while they're driving, looked at their cell phones, because uh, you're all good Christians, like myself. I never do this. But what the re so what we tell ourselves is we don't admit, oh, yeah, actually, the reason I crashed a car was because I was on my cell phone. The reason we crashed a car, the sun was quite low and it was in our eyes, or our kids were just causing such a ruckus in the back that we were distracted, or, or they were so late getting ready in the morning that we, I was so rushed that Whatever it is, we tell and we justify our actions by all these other true story about our life. We won't actually be prepared to tell. And so we can sleep in the middle of the storm like Jonah. Because we're like, oh, I'm sweet. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm good. It's it. So those other people have got issues. It's the other. It's the... It's the external, it's that culture that I'm in. It's the workplace. It's my, 
It's my spouse. It's the kids. It's whatever it is. It's not me. Or possibly, possibly for Jonah, deep down, he knows that he's the cause of the storm. Deep down, we know actually the issues. Ah, yeah, I've got to take some responsibility. But we kind of, we, we, we manage to somehow block it out of our brain. We, we phase it out. We ignore the consequences of our disobedience to the point that we can sleep soundly through it. Even when there is a storm raging around us. You guys have gone very, very quiet. Maybe this, is, maybe this is too close to home. Let's read on. Let's see her about Jonah. Let's externalize it to him. In verse 6, the captain went to him and said to Jonah, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? And from what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea. It's kind of fascinating that while Jonah actually knows deep down that he is the cause of the storm, he still lets the sailors do this big rigmarole about trying to find out who it was. Like, they're still casting lots, and he's like, he knows He's not prepared to own up to it himself until his hand is forced. How often are we like that? Oh, yeah. Okay, Richie's the only honest man in the room. But I know, I know from my kids. We've got Easter eggs at home. Some of them went missing. I ask my children, do you know where the Easter eggs are? No, no, I don't know. And it's not till you actually pin one down and go, yeah, I've got one. I still haven't accounted for all of them, but I know where one of them went. <laughs> but it's not until their hand is forced that we own up, until he's cornered by the sailors. And look, he's drilled. They give him five questions in a row. Who's responsible? What do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? For what people are you? And it's interesting. Every one of those questions, well, most of them are about identity. And the last three are very similar. Where do you come from? What's your country? And from what people are you? See, when the enemy wants to get in your grill and to, to, to really challenge you, he always attacks your identity. He says, who, who are you to, to think that you can be a Christian? Who are you to think that God loves you? Who are you to? The same way that Jesus was attacked by the enemy when he went into to his time of, um, of wilderness. The, the devil comes to him and he says, if you are the son of God, then do this. If. If you, if you really are, he attacks his identity. The enemy will attack your identity. And he'll, and he'll drill down and he'll say, who are you really? Are you really good enough? And it takes a confrontation for Jonah to actually go, yeah, no, I need to sort out my mess. And my, my, my challenge this morning, it's confrontational because that's what it takes sometimes. It might be a little bit in your face because I want, I don't, I'm frustrated from just seeing people, you know, living their lives and not changing. Because as a, as a pastor, I know that our, we're far from where we could be in God. And I speak for myself here as well. And so I think it's my, it's, 
it's my mandate from, from heaven to provoke a change in us. And uh, I don't know, I can't, I can't make you change, but I can poke you and prod you, hopefully, as a shepherd, guides his sheep to good pasture. I can kind of go, come on, this is where you need to change through the story of Jonah. So this is what happens for Jonah. He has finally, his hand is forced. He's like, yeah, okay, it's me. In verse 10, we read, this terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied. And it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. When he's confronted, he fully owns it. And he owns the solution as well. He realizes the solution sits with him. And I think that's, that's so key for us. We need to realize actually the solution, it's not about fixing those other people. It's not about fixing my family or my spouse or my workplace. Actually, it's about me. It's a drastic solution that Jonah puts forward, but it's the right one. And it's the right one because it's God's one. Sometimes God's solution is drastic, but it's always the right one. And in verse 13, we read, instead, <laughs> the men don't want to do this. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. See, the sailors tried to fix the problem themselves. They had their own man-made solutions. Has anybody done that? Has anybody thought, oh, yeah, okay, God, I need to change. I'm gonna, I'll do it. I don't need your help. I'll fix it. That's like our default all the time, I think. I can fix this. I can solve this. Just give me long enough and I'll sort it out. I'll fix my own problems. No, I don't need to go to an e-group and have people pray for me. No, I don't need to go down the front. No, I don't need to raise my hand. I can sort this out myself. It's part of our Kiwi mentality, I think, because we don't want to be like, actually admit I need some help. Such a human response. It's such a Kiwi response as well. But it doesn't work. It doesn't work for the sailors here. And eventually, they realize it. And eventually, we will realize it. And I just pray that you will realize it sooner rather than later. We can't fix ourselves. On Resurrection Sunday, we need to realize that it's a resurrected Jesus that we need to help us. And so in this story, the sailors realize. And in verse 14, Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you, Lord. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. God does a miracle here. They throw him, Jonah overboard, and the storm ceases. That is a miracle in itself. But here's, the, I think, the bigger miracle. All these rough sailors who earlier, a couple verses earlier, were praying to their own, all their different gods, and, they, and they, they offer a sacrifice to the Lord. It's like this mass conversion experience aboard a boat. There's a miracle there. And I tell you what, when we come in repentance, that's when things change. 
But what about Jonah? <laughs> well, get this, the very next verse, verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. If you're floating in the ocean and you're looking for God to provide a means of which to save you, you're expecting like a ship or a boat or maybe to be washed ashore on an island somewhere. When you see a massive sea monster coming towards you, you're not thinking, yay, I'm saved. Thank you, Jesus. No, you're thinking, help God, I'm going to die because this big fish is going to swallow me. And that's exactly what happens. Thankfully for Jonah, he swallowed whole. And so he finds himself in the belly of a whale or a big fish, we don't know. Let's just think about this for a moment. Have you ever found yourself in the middle of a storm, in the middle of a hard place with God, and you're crying out to him, God, save me. I need your help in this situation. And it only seems that things go from bad to worse. Like Jonah in a boat during the storm, that was not a good situation. Jonah being thrown out of the boat, abandoned at sea, that's a worse situation. Now, gobbled up inside a giant fish, that's about as bad as it gets. I, I don't know, I just want you to maybe close your eyes. Just imagine, it, closing your eyes will help because it, imagine what it's like to be in the inside of a giant fish. It's dark, right? Darker than you can get with your eyes closed here. It's pitch black. It's slimy. It's sticky. It's gross. There's bits of half-devoured fish and stomach acid and fish mucus all around you. It's claustrophobic. And it's not sticky. Staying still. It's moving around. So if you're trying to stand up, you just keep getting thrown off your feet. So you eventually you just sit down in midst all the fish guts and whatever else, the gooey mess. Imagine sitting in. <laughs> and uh, this is what blows me away. Instead of just despairing and, and just waiting to die, Jonah prays. And Jonah prays this amazing prayer. I want to read it to you now. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from the 
God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. What an amazing prayer to pray when you're sitting in the pitch black, gooey ickiness of a fish. In the depths of despair, dying of probably lack of oxygen or lack of fresh water. He remembers there three days. He remembers God, and his prayer goes up to God in his holy temple. And he shouts grateful praise in that place. He offers his life as a sacrifice to God. He promises to make good his vows. And he says, salvation, salvation, he says it in faith. Salvation comes from the Lord. And at that moment, boom, he is spat out from the fish. In verse 10, and the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So Jonah is saved. Woo! He's covered in fish vomit, but he's saved. He's alive. And at this point, Jonah does what God originally asked him to do. And he goes to the city of Nineveh and he prophesies. The thing we've got to realize about Jonah is that he's pretty much the world's worst prophet. He is. He's lousy. Like, he's reluctant. Like we kind of get this because he's running away. He's selfish, like he, he he just wants to do his own thing. He doesn't want to obey what God has asked him. He's also incredibly brief in his prophecy. Like in the original language language of Hebrew, his prophecy to the people of Nineveh is five words long. Five words, like. The prophet Ezekiel is 48 chapters long. Jeremiah 52. Isaiah 66 chapters of prophecy. Jonah, this is what he says, translated from the Hebrew. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. That's the extent of his prophecy. Wow. Great prophet, Jonah. <laughs> like the, 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 the author of of the book of Jonah is being deliberate here. He's, he's portraying Jonah as the worst pro- possible prophet. And when you actually, you go on, we're gonna, not going to go into chapter four, but it gets worse because Jonah gets really angry because the people turn and follow his prophecy. He gets annoyed at the results of his prophecy. Like not only is he, is he reluctant, he's also truculent. He's like angry because they're doing what he says. <laughs> so Jonah is really, he's literally the worst prophet. But he gets possibly the best result of any prophet, which is crazy. Which leads us to conclude that actually, if God has something for you, then he will see it to completion whether or not you are participating, whether or not you actually are helping along the journey. I think you just got to give up and say, okay, God, yes, I'll do what you ask. Because if God is actually backing you and for you, nothing. He's going to do something crazy like put you in the belly of a whale just to get you to do what he asks. Because we read on in, in verse 5, uh, chapter 3. The Ninevites believed God. 
a fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent with compassion, turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. It's actually an incredible response to a five-word prophecy. Like, not only, get this, not only do the people put on sackcloth and fast, the animals, like the animals, why did you stop feeding us? What have we got to do with, why am I wearing the sackcloth suit that you've made me? This is sheep walking around with, with these tailor-made sackcloth and ashes kind of outfit. It's it's crazy response. And the thing that, that, that gets Jonah riled up is, see, the people of Nineveh, they're Assyrian. They're the sworn enemies of Israel. So Jonah was reluctant because he didn't want to go and rescue his enemies. He was reluctant because he didn't want to help out those who were opposed to him and to his people. And yet these foreigners give the best response, better than, better than, than the Israelites do to all their great prophets. Like virtually none of the Israelite prophets get such a good response. Not just a half-hearted effort, like a full-on, yeah, we will get our sackcloth and ashes on and, and we'll get our animals to do it too. So this, this five-word prophecy from a two-bit prophet gets this un, a crazy response. It's just nuts. Which gives us some hope. The fact that God chooses to use this reluctant, selfish guy should give you and I some hope. I don't know about you. It gives me some hope. Because I'm not always like, yeah, like how you see me on Sunday. Just being honest with you. Sometimes I'm like, oh, yeah, no, I organized the prayer meeting. I should be there. Yeah, you know, but he blesses even our half-hearted effort. Even our five-word prophecy, God can breathe on and use. But there's a key here for us. A key to unlocking our future. And I've left it till now to talk about it because it's a hard key to turn. But it, it's so vital. And it's actually what the whole book of Jonah is all about. It's this idea of repentance. The Hebrew word is teshuvah. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right. It's the ability to repent and to be forgiven by God. And repentance is all by God to prophesy to the people of Nineveh so they will repent. He refuses, ends up on a boat. And as we've read, the sailors turn and repent. And eventually, Jonah, from the belly of a whale, turns and repents. And his preaching leads to the repentance of the people of, and the salvation of the people of Nineveh. So, I think the key for us is that if we are to see our lives flourish, if we are to see those around us flourish, we need to get this idea of repentance in our lives. Teshuvah literally means to return. To return, to turn back, to come back to God. 
And it's not something we do just once. There is the original point that we turn back to God. And when I say turn back, He created us, and so He's got a plan, and we, we turn back to Him. But if we're Christians here today, there's actually a moment-by-moment moment returning to Him, repenting. In essence, our lives are just an ongoing process of turning away from our selfishness and turning back to God, of returning to Jesus. We stuff up, we turn away, we live with jealousy or lust or pride or whatever we do, we do stuff wrong. But every time we return and He welcomes us with open arms, He forgives us, He gives us grace, and we can keep moving forward. And it's not something we should ever stop doing. Sometimes I think as Christians we think, oh, yeah, I've got this Christian life sorted. No, we need to keep coming back, keep coming before Him and saying, God, I need your help. Of God is shown on your life. It reveals a whole lot of mess. How many know your, your house can look kind of tidy in dim light? <laughs> but if you turn a spotlight on it, you realize, oh my goodness, look at those walls. Look at those handprints from my kids. It's filthy. Uh, uh, this weekend, I borrowed a, a uh, water blaster from a friend. And it's funny, like I started water blasting the paths and things. And you start seeing all these things. You're like, wow, that fence, that's so grubby. Oh, those posts. Oh, that bit of, oh, you're like, oh my goodness, this is a never-ending task. I could just water blast everything. <laughs> my kids. <laughs> it's a pretty powerful petrol-powered one. Actually, it's great, but it would blow my kids apart. Um, so I haven't used it on them yet. Yet. Um, but what, what happens is when God starts to shine his light, we go, oh, 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 I've got this area. Oh, oh, I've got this. Oh, I've got this. Oh, oh, my goodness. It's, a, it's an ongoing, and you could go, oh, man, that's a bit depressing. My life is just continually being shown all the things I've got wrong. But it's not depressing at all. Because it's like something, as we bring those things to the light, we deal with them. We deal with that, that hurt or that brokenness, or that pride, or that lust, or that, or, and there's layers to these things. It's not like we deal with it once and it's gone. Oh, anger, never going to be a problem ever again. Sure. <laughs> no, no, there's layers of it. Okay, yeah, I've, I've, I've got this degree of self-control, push my buttons harder next time, or whatever it is. And so we, great, we just calm again and again, and we, we repent. And he graciously, again and again, shows us his love. And you go, well, what does all this have to do with Resurrection Sunday? Dave, you're supposed to be preaching about Jesus. Here we are. Matthew 12, verse 38. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. So to put this in, in context, Jesus has just healed a guy who was blind and mute, cast out a demon from him, and the Pharisees are like, oh, well, if, if he's casting out demons, he must be a demon himself. And they're just having a go at him. And, and, that, and then Jesus is like, oh, you're just a bunch of vipers. And, and he's, he's having a go at them. And they're having this back and forth. And Jesus realizes actually what I do. I could 
raise someone from the dead here now, and you're not going to believe. I've just healed this guy who was blind and mute, and he's talking, and he's, you know, he's seeing. How can you not believe? And Jesus, he's had enough because he knows that no matter what he does and what he says, they're not going to believe. And this is what he says. He answered in verse 39, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and it was poor preaching, we know. And now something greater than Jonah is here. The sign of Jonah. Jesus to Jonah, and at the same time, he points forwards to his own death and resurrection. And he says, essentially, I am the sign. What I will do is the sign. It's the only sign. It is the sign that you need to know about God and to know that I am the Son of God. And I tell you, it hasn't changed. Sometimes we, we, we come to God and go, oh, God, I need, I need a sign from you. I need, I need to see this thing. I need you to show yourself in my life. This is what he's done. On Resurrection Sunday, the Son of Man will be three days in the heart of the earth. Jesus is the Son of Man. He died, he was buried, and for three days, he was in the earth. But on the third day, he rose again. And that is actually the, that is the key. That is the essence of our faith. If Jesus didn't rise again, then our faith is nothing. It's dead. We're believing in a hoax. But because Jesus rose again from the grave, we have all that we need. No other religion in the world is based around someone who rose from the dead, who conquered death. And the only way we access this resurrection is through repentance. See, the sign of Jonah comes with a response. The whole book of Jonah is about this idea of repentance. The sign of Jonah is only accessed through repentance. Can I invite Kiza? See, his audience, Jesus' audience at the time, they've hardened their hearts to him. Whatever miracle he does, they won't believe. They will not repent. I'll read to you verse 41. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah... But now someone greater than Jonah is here. They repented. The people of Nineveh, the enemies of God, repented. Today, I want to suggest that perhaps more than any other day of the year, we need to turn and repent. We need to come before God and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for where I've made it about me, for where I've been seeking my plans and my desires where I've been living for myself I need your resurrection power because here's the thing you can't access the resurrection power of God without repentance without coming to him humbly God says he opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble
And the beautiful thing is that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is what? Is what? It's alive in us. It's alive in you and me. The same resurrection power that rose Christ and asked for it. And so whatever issue you are facing right now, if you want the power of God to bear in it, you need to come to Him with a repentant heart. Say, God, I'm sorry. I need your help in this moment. Now, his, his, we've been forgiven once and for all. That's, that's a done deal. I'm not talking about our eternal salvation. I'm talking about the issues of our life, the daily coming to Him and asking for help. We need to come and lean into His grace. Why don't you stand to your feet in this moment? Because I really believe that in this moment, we need to do a bit of returning to God. Remember, repentance means to return, to turn back. And I know that in this place, we've all done stuff. Even this week, we've turned away, we've walked away. But maybe it's bigger than that. Maybe like Jonah, you're actually running away, jumping on a boat and trying to escape the call of God in your life. He's asked you to do something. He's asked you, he said, I've got this for you, but you're like, no, that, the cost is too much. Or I, don't, I don't, just don't want to do that. God, ask someone else. I'll tell you what. I think if... For Jonah, God gave him grace. By grace, I mean he put him in a belly of a whale. But he gave him a second chance. God will give you a second chance, quite possibly a third and a fourth chance. But at some point, if there's something that He's asked you to do and you're refusing to do it, He will say, okay, you know what? I'm going to ask someone else because He wants that thing done. And the trouble is that you will miss out on the blessing and the favor of God. You'll miss out on the call of God because you couldn't come and say, oh, God, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I am yours. I offer myself up as a sacrifice. And then you will be used. So just with everybody's eyes closed, head bowed in this moment, I, I want us to pray. And maybe you've been running away from the call of God in your life. Or maybe there's just an issue in your life. You're like, yeah, I need to repent of that again. I need to come again because I need the resurrection power of Jesus, the Holy Spirit to come and do something afresh in my life. If that's you this morning, just raise your hand and raise it boldly because God wants to do something in your life this morning. That's awesome. Ah, let's not be proud, church. Let's not think, oh, I've got it all together. We don't. Come on, let's come to Him humbly and let's believe in this moment for a miracle. We sang earlier, miracles are taking place as we draw near Come on, this is our time to draw near. And this is our time to see a miracle in our lives. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are a loving, merciful, kind God. And Lord, we are sorry for where we have turned away. God, we are turning back to you. We are returning to you. We are repenting. We're sorry for where we've done our own thing. 
or where we've turned away from the call that you've had on our lives. Like Jonah, we've, we've tried to escape it. God, we are coming back and we're saying, no, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do what you've called me to do. I'm going to be obedient. And we thank you that you welcome us with open arms. You give us the grace to achieve those things you've called us to do. You give us the grace to overcome that issue or that, to heal that relationship or whatever it is, you give us the grace in this moment. And we thank you, Jesus, that as we turn, as we return to you, you are here for us and you are championing us and you are filling us now with your Holy Spirit. We pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Hey, church, this Resurrection Sunday, I encourage you, Take some time. Read the resurrection story afresh and read it through those eyes. The eyes of an Old Testament prophet who turned away but eventually came back and was given the sign, the greatest sign.